Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. We start our show off with our series on Odyssey, I'm Living. It's a conversation led by our colleague David O'Leary and guests discussing suicide, loss, and survivors. From Odyssey, in partnership with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, this is I'm Listening, Talk Away the Dark, a limited series Today, David O'Leary hosts our intimate conversation on grief, loss, and suicide. Joined by Paul Augustiniak, who lost his wife to suicide, and AFSP Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Christine Moutier. This is I'm Listening from Odyssey. I'm David O'Leary for Odyssey. It is great to have you tuned in. You know, when we see someone who may be struggling... We often worry that saying the wrong thing or saying anything may make matters worse with that person. So very often we end up saying nothing. We're going to talk a little bit about reaching out and how to have that conversation with some friends from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Talk a little bit more about their campaign called Talk Away the Dark. Dr. Christine Moutier joins us. She is the medical director for the American Foundation for suicide prevention. She knows firsthand the impact of suicide while in training early in her medical career at the University of California. She experienced a series of tragic losses, which led her to her work in suicide prevention. Dr. Moutier, it's great to have you with us. Always great to join you, David, and really excited to have the conversation. We're also joined by Paul Augustiniak, who joins us from Tennessee. He lost his wife, Alice, his wife of over 30 years, just a few years ago, and has uh, joined up with AFSP, not just as a volunteer, but as chair of the Tennessee chapter of the organization. And he also coordinates the Healings Conversation Program, which is uh, a program of outreach, giving survivors of suicide loss the opportunity to speak with volunteers, others who have had similar loss. There's a tremendous power in that. We're going to find out a little bit more about that and more. Paul, nice to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you very much, David. It is my pleasure and uh, happy to join the conversation today. Very happy to try to shed a little bit of light on this leading cause of death. And it is a leading cause of death. It's interesting. I've, I've said this before, especially over the last couple of years, pandemic and whatnot, I think uh, individuals who never gave a thought to their mental health have been able to talk about mental health in a way, anxiety, depression, however you want to label it, in a way that they couldn't 
until until very very recently. Dr. Moutier, would you say that's the the case? We're all kind of willing to have this conversation, be a little more open to talking about it these days. Yeah, I think our culture is opening up tremendously around the topic of mental health. I think the work that we are here to talk about today, in a way, is really what does that mean for us in our daily lives, in our real relationships with family members, with colleagues, friends. When I'm asked, why is why does suicide remain such a um, tragic loss of life in our lives and in our nation, even while these attitudes are opening up and the culture is changing? I think the gap is still in what does it mean for our daily lives? What do we put into action um, in our daily lives as, as human beings, as individuals, but also in our workplaces and, you know, in, in all of the other platforms that we have? You know, I wonder if often when someone is uh, thinking about reaching out and they see someone who may be struggling or they are aware that someone has, has suffered a loss, uh, they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Maybe that's what the, the, the motivating, that's, the, that's their overall sort of motivating them to to speak up or to not speak up. Paul, you lost uh, your wife, Alice, just a, a, a few years ago. And, and thank you for being willing to share your story and talk about it just a little bit. And wh- what was your experience after after losing Alice? Were, were people reaching out or did you sense, oh, I don't know what to say or how to how to approach, you know, how to approach Paul and, and, and I'll say the wrong thing. Where did it fall for you? It's difficult, I think, for people who have experienced uh, someone who has a suicide in their life, whether it's someone incredibly close to them, like, uh, like Alice for myself and our family, uh, or if it's, you know, an extended relative, uh, just not knowing exactly what to say. I-, I will tell you, in my case, it took, it took a year maybe to, you know, certainly some months to just come to grips with the word suicide is that was a process. And, and I think for, for some folks, both on the receiving and then also on the sending end, it's, it's a little bit difficult. As I say, I think we've, I know personally, uh, I, I've grown to talk about and be able to talk about suicide more, to be able to talk about what happened to Alice, uh, what able to talk about what happened to our family. And, and just allowing people that space to come in is really important. But I think, again, in my experience personally, uh, it may have taken a long time for me to open up and be willing to, uh, to create that kind of space as an individual. So not just people reaching out, but the people that they're reaching out to almost have to, I don't know, figure out how to hear that, right? How to, how to, how to be reached out to. I mean, is, that a, is that a fair statement? Probably a more elegant way to say it. But No, I, I, think, I think it is. I think, you've, I think you're spot on, David. It's one of those where no one, no one, people don't know what to say and then you don't know how to respond uh, because from, a, from this trauma, you're, you know, we're still processing, we're still figuring it out, we, we're still you know, in, in this healing mode and, and even before we get there, we're still figuring out well, what happened and, and, and how and why. And uh, so that's, you know, it's very complex. Part of what we do at AFSP is we let people know that there is, there's community, there's support. It's a safe place to be able to talk about your experience, one's experience, one's family's experience. And uh, 
that's, that's, I think, very helpful. And it's certainly been very healing for me. Christine, can you talk about the, um, it, it sounds very isolating where you're at this point where people don't know what to say or how to bring it up, or they're just afraid to, again, whatever the, the reason is, it, it does sounds it does sound like a, a very isolated and alone place to be and, and, and probably not medically speaking, not a, not a great place to be. Here's one way that I would look at it. So let's say, let's say I'm Paul's neighbor um, or colleague at work. And I know that he's just lost his spouse to suicide. If I don't understand that suicide is a complex health outcome, like other complicated health outcomes and other causes of death, if I don't know that, then I get kind of stuck in, I don't know what's okay to say. You know, um, I, I stay shrouded in that state of silence and fear. And keeping that frame on it and understanding that it's the majority of people who've actually experienced um, something personally related to either loss, suicide loss or lived experience. I think that would help me then as Paul's neighbor to say, okay, if his wife had died of cancer or some other health condition, I would be, like you said, Paul, jumping in the boat. I would be coming close to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Alice was such an amazing person. We want to help you. Can we walk your dog? Can we go shopping? Can we bring you food? We're around. We're your community. We support you. Um, And I think more and more suicide loss survivors are experiencing that as this level of understanding is getting infused from science into, you know, all of our knowledge and way of understanding mental health and suicide through the health lens. Then we can behave in the caring and normal ways that we know how to behave at a time of loss and grief. The campaign is called Talk Away the Dark, and the, the name of it really says it all. If someone is in a dark place, is struggling, the campaign is designed to give a sort of insight into how to have these these caring conversations. And it can be tough to to get the ball rolling, but how to have the conversation with a loved one about their mental health and suicide prevention. Um, and these open and honest conversations demonstrate the importance as you spoke of, uh, Christine, the importance of really talking directly about it, using that word, and, and showing that these conversations can help save lives, to help give hope and, and prevent suicide. And, and David, if I if I may, I, I want to leverage and, and dovetail something that uh, that Christine had talked about before I became a volunteer for AFSP. Suicide was you know, was out there, and uh, we knew that. And, and as Christine has noted, I mean, the data show 55% of you know, Americans you know, have been touched by suicide somehow. I didn't realize how prevalent it was from an anecdotal standpoint until I started volunteering for AFSP, tabling at events, being out in the public, doing and participating in our, our loss and healing programs, whether they be walks or whether they be healing conversations where we'd be at a ball game. We'd have an AFSP table up and you know, some folks would stream by, of course, but, but others would, would lean in and others would, would say, I lost my uncle. I lost my granddad. I lost my partner. And I began to understand that more and more people, this, it, it was, it's as, uh, the analogy I'll make is if, if when you buy, when someone buys a new car, and, and now you're hyper-focused 
on the fact that every so many other people have my car. I, I liken it to that when, when I think about uh, my experience as a volunteer here and, and, and listening to people and, and being available to them and, and presenting as AFSP. I think that's a great point, Paul. And I, I think, you know, as a species, we, we, we want to know that we're not the only one, right? That there are others like us, our people. And, and, and if that's the type of car you drive, or if that's having struggled or losing someone to suicide, you want to be among people who under, understand that. And I think, uh, I think you're spot on. I think once you're sort of in that club, you realize how many other people are in that club as well. They're just waiting for an opportunity to, to, to connect with you about it. I agree. And I think you've hit on a word that that resonates with me, and that's connection. Having the community of lost survivors has you know, been incredibly helpful for me. It's been incredibly helpful for our family to know that we're not alone. You know, I, I, I attended a, you know, a, loss, a group for lost survivors that's done by one of our community organizations here in Nashville. And everybody that walks in the door knows why they're there. And, and everyone that sits down at the chair knows why they're there. And the first step for me was the most difficult. And, and I would urge people who are out there who, who, have, who are lost survivors to, uh, to reach out to us, certainly at AFSP, where the Healing Conversations Program, for example, is, is this community of volunteers who are lost survivors who have had a similar loss. And, and we connect those folks up one-to-one. It's, it's a part of the role that I, I relish because we're able to help someone else start their healing process, start their journey. And you know, the outcome of these calls is, is generally we want to point that person to additional resources, whether they're on our website or whether they're groups or, or articles or more books. Uh, I, I got great comfort out of a couple of books that I read. So to let people know that they're not alone in this, I, I think is, is incredibly important. I want to note that as you're, as you're listening, uh, if you are struggling or you're caring for someone or know someone who is struggling with depression or anxiety, help is there. Help is always there. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just dial 988. And as you noted, Paul, AFSP is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's a national organization with chapters in all 50 states across the country. You can find out more about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a national organization with chapters in all 50 states. There are resources, there are tools, there is all kinds of information, whether you are struggling or caring for someone who is, go to AFSP.org. There are warning signs that you can learn a little bit more about um, that will sort of uh, attend so much of what we've been talking about here. You can also find out more about Talk Away the Dark, and that is talkawaythedark.afsp.org for a little bit more. I want to thank you both for being so generous with sharing your, your, your personal stories and, and, and expertise and insights into this really, really important topic. It's, it's, it's a, a topic that often hides in the shadows, as we've discussed. And all too often, it, you know, by going unaddressed, it, it, even when we know someone is struggling, it, uh, the, the right thing to do is to step up, have the conversation, start the conversation, even if you don't have the answers, because you really can um, save a life and improve the quality of, of so many others. So 
Dr. Christine Moutier and Paul Agostiniak. Thank you both for being with us and I'm listening. Thanks so much, David and, and Paul. Always great to speak with you. Thank you very much, Christine and, and David. Thank you for the opportunity to allow us to show what the other things that AFSP can do for uh, folks that are new loss survivors. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening. Thanks for being here. For the full show and more stories like this, download the I'm Listening podcast on the Odyssey app or visit imlistening.org. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. And joining us right now is Monica Murray. She's a doctor of audiology with United Healthcare and a nationally recognized hearing health expert. Monica, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, and I'm glad you're joining us because people are listening and because they're listening, that means they can hear to various degrees. I'm bringing up this interesting stat because I think a lot of people may not be aware of it. But here in Texas, Texas is one of nine states that accounts for 51% of where Americans age 65 or older reside, where 3.9 million persons age 65 or older, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they have various degrees of hearing loss. And I think it's an interesting topic because, again, you're the expert and you're here to help us talk about ways we can protect our hearing, especially by trying to prevent noise-induced hearing loss. Hearing loss. Can you talk about how prevalent hearing loss is? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for those stats. It's always interesting to hear uh, what each state has for demographics. Mm -hmm. Um, Hearing loss is very common. Actually, it's the third most common chronic health condition in the United States. Uh, There's about 48 million adults that experience some degree of hearing loss. That hearing loss can be caused by loud impulse sounds such as gunshots Mm -hmm. or fireworks, but more often it's due to um, gradual exposure to loud sounds over time. Um, and as we age, hearing loss is more common. So by the time people are around 75, half of them will experience hearing loss. And there are things that can help aid the hearing loss, but sometimes we want to try to be ahead of it all. I'm kind of curious because in this day and age of earbuds and and headphones, and a lot of people wear those, and sometimes people have the volume very, very loud. Can you talk about some of the cause and effect or you, that you've noticed with the way people listen to music or listen to uh, their content? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that you're aware that we're in a generation now where everyone seems to be wearing earbuds or headphones to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And that repeated exposure to sounds really puts you at risk for hearing loss. And 
once those hair cells in your inner ear are damaged, the hearing loss is irreversible. So it's important to protect your hearing um, as early as possible. Did you say irreversible? In other words, when you start losing your hearing, there's nothing you can do. In other words, there's nothing that your body can do to make it get better. It has to be something artificial or maybe the science or maybe there's a hearing aid, but there's nothing that your body can do uh, once you start losing your hearing. Yeah, unfortunately, once it's gone, you you can't get it back. And um, most times people can have hearing loss before they even notice they're having a problem hearing. Wow. And and I'm kind of curious because, like I said, you're an audiologist. You're a doctor of audiology. And I want to know how you got into that because people always like to know the backstory and be transparent. And we're so glad you're doing what you do and spreading the word, by the way. Oh, thanks. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting story. When I was an undergrad, my major actually started off as speech pathology. And I, I took my very first course in speech pathology and left the class crying because I realized quickly I didn't want to be a speech pathologist. <laughs> um, well, fortunately, there was an audiology course uh, that same semester that I was already enrolled in. And um, I liked that. So um, I decided to pursue my degree in audiology and then an advanced degree for my doctorate of audiology. And it's just really so fulfilling to be able to help individuals hear better because um, not, not hearing really isolates you from the rest of the world. And um, it's, it's just so important to treat that because it isn't difficult to treat. So you mentioned it isn't difficult to treat. And I'm, and again, I love your story because again, it's all about, being empathetic and helping people and you're helping people in your particular field. And with technology nowadays, I mean, there's something to be said that you can read things with technology, but you've in this, in this world today, you've got to be able to hear things as well as see things. So as, as you were, you know, you know, going through your courses and got your degree and we're reaching out to help people. What were you noticing? Was there something like a trend of more people losing their hearing or has there been a change where people less people losing their hearing or people more aware of it? I just want to notice some of the things that you've noticed over time. Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately I think that there's more people, younger people that are experiencing hearing loss because they have been wearing earbuds or headphones at a much younger age. Um, You know, but as we, have known that the demographics of boomer baby boomers are mm-hmm. aging. Um, so we do see a natural progression of more individuals in that age range where um, they have hearing loss. Um, but unfortunately we're still not seeing people get treated for hearing loss earlier or even having their hearing tested. Um, sometimes it's not just about hearing better um, and treating the hearing loss. Like, if left untreated, hearing loss can lead to a lot of overall health implications. Um, you can increase your risk of falls, um, in, you know, increase depression because you're isolating yourself. And even there's been a correlation with dementia um, for mm. untreated hearing loss. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because, again, let's talk about baby boomers and Gen X. They're getting older. And I just recall I think that they actually attended more rock concerts and things back in the day and had their speakers loud in their cars. You know, Uh, it wasn't necessarily the headphones or the earbuds. It was like they just wanted to be around loud noise or loud music. And I was wondering the toll that it has taken over years. Is that something that happens over years or just happens all at once? 
all of a sudden you hear ringing in your ears and you're like, wait a minute, I can't hear as good as I used to. Yeah, well, a couple things. So um, noisy situations, you know, over time certainly will impact um, your hearing um, as, as will, you know, sudden loud sounds. Um, but, you know, the, that continuous exposure. So if you're maybe at a restaurant or a concert, a bar, and you leave and you notice your ears are ringing, that's a sign that you were overexposed to loud sounds and you probably caused some damage to your hearing at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I was, I was speaking about, you know, Gen X and um, baby boomers. What about those who don't clean their ears regular enough? I mean, you kind of think of older people and how they try to do some things and they may not do things as much as, you know, somebody maybe in their 20s or 30s or maybe 20s and 30s, they don't take care of their bodies enough. But you kind of hear stories about earwax buildup. Are those things true or is that just wives' tales or does that affect hearing at all? Well, it can affect hearing, certainly the buildup of earwax. Um, and the good news is that type of hearing loss um, can be uh, fixed you know, just by oh, removing the earwax. Um but I think that probably by the time you're adults, you t- probably know if you're a, a waxy person if and or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but a- as a rule, you know, most people don't build up earwax enough that um, it would cause hearing loss. Another thing you mentioned, dementia. I want to ask you about vertigo. And I'm bringing that up because I know a guy, <laughs> if I know a guy who <laughs> who wound up having vertigo and he had to, it took him months to get right again where he could like sit up and he was saying something about his ears. And I don't know the whole story, but does vertigo and hearing loss or anything, are those tied together at all or can they be tied? Well, so um, your inner ear is what controls your balance system. Um, we have some, it's called their semicircular canals and there's fluid in those that help you feel regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that there's a, disequilibrium that can cause balance, or sometimes there's actually, it's going to sound crazy, but crystals in your inner ear that can become loose that will cause um, some severe vertigo. So certainly if you're experiencing vertigo, I would recommend going to a healthcare provider or hearing health practitioner to assess what's happening behind the scenes. Okay. So if, I mean, you're, you're the expert here. And by the way, we're talking with Dr. Monica Murray. She's a doctor of audiology with uh, United Healthcare. Dr. Monica, what is the best way to prevent hearing loss and protect your hearing no matter what age you are? Well, avoiding noisy situations is is the best prevention, Uh, but sometimes you can't avoid the noise. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you can't avoid the noise, use some sort of hearing protection. It can be, you know, as simple as the foam plugs that you see or something more elaborate over the ear or even custom made plugs if you're in a lot of um, noisy situations. But there's also some other things that you can do. Um, one, maybe you haven't heard of it, but it's called the 60-60 rule. Uh, and what that means is when you're going to use headphones or earbuds, try to limit the, the use to no more than 60 minutes at a time and no more than 60% of the overall volume. Ah. Um, kind of a good rule of thumb is if if you're next to someone and you can hear the sound coming out of their earbuds or headphones, they're listening too loud. So that's a that's a, a good tip also. And can you talk about the social or mental health implications of hearing loss? In other words, we're always talking about mental wellness, but also when you're out there socially, sometimes people are 
really self-conscious if they can't hear as well as they used to. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the thing that motivates me most is because I can think of so many older adults who have stopped going out to meals with friends mm-hmm. or loved ones or at family dinners. They kind of sit off into the corner anymore because you know, maybe their loved ones aren't so patient when they can't hear or they ask for repetition, or maybe they don't want to bother those around them to ask for repetition. So instead of doing that, they withdraw and isolate themselves. And that really leads to so many other um, problems, yeah. with, you know, isolation, depression, when, uh, you know, treating the hearing loss is, is a much easier option. And and can you give some examples? And And by the way, that is that is so true. And, and, you know, you notice that more and more nowadays, especially when people can isolate, because guess what? They can get on social media or they can, you know, do things by themselves much more than be being sociable. I will say this, yep. though, and, and maybe you can comment on this. You know, it's always good to hear f- from someone, you know, on a, on a phone call or even FaceTime. Can you talk about some of those situations and, and, and go ahead and say what you were going to say before I interrupted you? For individuals that want to FaceTime or talk on the phone that are struggling, using a speakerphone or FaceTime is a great option because you can hear with both ears ah. uh, as opposed to just one ear. Is is it common that one ear is affected as opposed to both ears? Or I mean, in your in your line of work, have you noticed is it one ear? Is it both ears? How does that usually happen? Or is it just, you know, is it, just, it depends on the person. Generally, um, this age-related hearing loss, we see equally in both ears at the same time. Uh, there may be situations where someone has been exposed to loud sounds due to, you know, their loud environments or, you know, exposure to a loud sound that they may see increased hearing loss in one ear over the other. But as a rule, hearing loss generally happens in both ears at the same rate. You know, in the radio business, and I've been in the radio business for a long time, we notice that our colleagues over time, because they wear headphones and sometimes they turn those those volumes up way too loud, over time they lose some hearing. Can you talk about different careers where hearing loss is more evident than other? Like, in other words, I doubt that if, you, well, maybe if you're in a daycare, if you're working a jackhammer on a construction site, you might have hearing loss. If you're in the... Uh, the radio industry, broadcasting industry, you might have hearing loss. Can you talk about the differences of not just lifestyles, but the uh, the, um, the the career paths that may have career that may have hearing loss involved? Yeah. So you mentioned um, you know people operating a jackhammer on the construction site. Um, anyone that uses firearms, soldiers, yeah. um, you know, they may have hearing loss more in one ear than the other. Um, Interestingly enough, like dental hygienists, because they're hearing that high pitch of the drill often oh, have yeah. hearing loss. I didn't even think about that. Hairdressers from the, you know, the loud hair dryers all mm-hmm. the time. Have is it is it also have you noticed any difference? Is it more men than women or just depends on who they are, or I, I'm just bringing up all these different things that people think of, like different parts of the country affected more than others, or is I mean, I'm just trying to figure if there's any kind of logic with hearing loss over time. Yeah. So there are some people that are higher risk for hearing loss. Um, you know, as we touched on people that are expo- exposed to loud sounds at home or at work, um, those that work in noisy environments, um, males are at a higher risk. And maybe that's just because of 
the, their activities, um, individuals over the age of 40. And then there are certain medications that could increase your risk of hearing loss. Uh, but I would really, in, in those cases, talk to your physician because chances are the medication is, is more important than, you know, the potential risk of hearing loss. You mentioned talk to the physician. So here we go. I know guys don't like to go to the doctor, let alone talk to the physician. Can you talk about the biggest challenges of people who might seek the treatment of hearing loss or even the challenge of getting people to address their hearing loss? Yeah, it's a challenge. Um, (laughs) And I think for people in the early stages of hearing loss, I there's this expectation or hope that the problem will resolve or improve eventually. Yeah. Um, It'll take care of itself. Yeah. And I think hearing loss is different than, I don't know, for vision than as an example, because you can make things louder. You can't magically, you know, turn a button to make your vision better, but you can make sounds louder, which allows people to compensate for hearing loss over time. Um, so because of that compensation, I think people are more reluctant or, you know, don't feel the need to um, go for a hearing test um, until much later in life. You mentioned the hearing test. How is hearing loss tested? Okay. So if you have a good relationship with your primary care physician, you can ask them for a hearing screening. They could potentially do one in the office or just do a quick uh, like tuning fork test to see if, you know, you'd be qualified for a more advanced test. Or you could go um, to, believe it or not, some of the apps have um, hearing screenings that you can download and, and do it right in the comfort of your home. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the standard, the gold standard is really a, an audiometer test through a, a hearing aid dispenser or an audiologist. And that's just, if you kind of think back to kindergarten where you put the headphones on and raise your hand when you hear the tone, that's, that's that type of test. And and so is that how hearing loss is treated? Can you talk about that part of it? In other words, once we figure out, okay, you've lost some hearing and uh, we want to make sure you don't lose any more hearing. How is that treated? How is hearing loss treated nowadays in 2024? So, um, you know, once you get a proper diagnosis, you will decide if if your hearing loss is treatable. There are some surgeries for certain, you know, middle ear type hearing losses. Um, If you have a really significant hearing loss, a cochlear implant might be a course of action. But for the majority of individuals, a hearing aid is going to be the best course of action. Um, I don't know if you've seen or familiar with hearing aids now, but they look great. You can hardly tell you're wearing them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're anonymous. Yeah, and and they are so technologically advanced. They pair with Bluetooth devices. You can, you know, from your phone, open up an app and control different programs or volumes or change the amount of noise canceling. So the the technology in hearing aids is really um, fascinating to explore. It's it's really phenomenal. I'm glad you bring bring this up because, in all seriousness, back in the day. When grandpa had a hearing aid, it was very obvious and it either looped around his ear or it it stuck out so large. It was like it was almost I felt bad for, you know, older gentlemen, older women who had hearing aids because I know they felt uncomfortable. Nowadays, literally, they're so anonymous. They're not even like those old school Bluetooth earbuds. You know what I mean? Where (laughs) No, they, they really are so invisible. It's it's amazing. So in other words, so if you're listening right now to this show and you're having you're you're dealing with some hearing loss, 
it's a wise move to go ahead and check it out just to see the different kind of models that they have. And again, it's not like it's obvious. It's almost like wearing a contact lens, almost. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hearing aids are all dispensed on a trial period. Um, so I, I really encourage everyone to get their hearing tested and, and if they're a candidate to try um, and see what they're missing. We're talking with Dr. Monica Murray. She's a doctor of audiology with United Healthcare. And there's this program called Wish of a Lifetime. Can you tell us all about that, please? Wish of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization affiliated with AARP. It's based in Denver, and it grants life-changing wishes to older adults and inspires people to redefine aging in America. They have granted over 2,500 wishes. Um, Wish of a Lifetime has reconnected loved ones, fulfilled lifelong dreams, commemorated service, and reignited passions. Is Wish of a Lifetime, what's the best way to describe it? It it creates opportunities to make seniors a little bit more happier in life? Absolutely. It celebrates older adults for their accomplishments, Mm -hmm. allows them to share their stories, and empowers them how, how to choose to age the way that they want. It sounds so wonderful. And again, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom about hearing loss and helping people hear better. Dr. Monica Murray, Doctor of Audiology with United Healthcare. Thanks, Monica. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And joining us right now, Tarrant County Community Organizer, our good friend, our girl in the streets, Vandella Menifee. How are you doing, Vandella? I cannot complain. Every day is a great day. Every day is a better day. Well, let me tell you something. We were worried about you last summer with all the different health issues were going on and, you know, your back and and the fact that you were in the car accident. We're not going to go into all the details, but I'm glad you're feeling better for 2024. How are things been going for you personally? And then we'll talk about some of the things that people need to be aware of in Tarrant County because, again, I cannot believe You're so out and about so much. It's like every kind of like you're such a great volunteer. I mean, people really don't know the ones in Tarrant County. They see you at all the different events. And I'm just amazed, especially with you're overcoming some of these personal health issues. Yes. Yes. Well, I first I want to thank you so much for having me on your show so many times. It is truly an honor to be a part of Better Living. I guess I'm now a Better Living ambassador. I'm giving myself up my own title. <laughs> but it is truly an honor to be a part of your show uh, so many times. And I was just telling my husband the other day that the Better Living program actually is such a wonderful podcast for our community, and we greatly appreciate you. Oh, for sure. But in reference to your, your question, uh, the last time, I can't remember the last time I spoke to you. It was in I, the summertime. I don't know. If, it was in the summer. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So I am still uh, recovering from my, from that accident, unfortunately, but I still try and, and seize opportunities. And that's what you have to do in life. You can't sit back and, and waddle in your tears. You have to seize opportunities, especially when when they're presented to you, because it may not happen again. And most of the opportunities that I am involved with, it is like once in a lifetime, just like uh, the opportunity of needing the rock. That day I was in so much pain and they didn't let the public know that he was going to be there. And they kept telling me, Vandela, 
you have a VIP pass, you have to attend. I was like, just give it to someone else. Just give it. They was like, no, we really want you to come. Because when the XFL came last year, I was able to assist them in connecting them with uh, different schools within the, within the Metroplex, mm-hmm. the ISDs, with football teams, uh, with students uh, that uh, JROTC that did some of the um, home game openings with the presenting the colors, uh, the Arlington PD Mounted Patrol, and all of these different people just being able to connect them and help to make their on field experience a great experience for the, for the attendees as well as the players. And so they was like, Vandela, we cannot pay you because you don't want to be paid, but please come. I was like, please just give it to someone else. And I came, I sat on the front row and was able to actually talk to The Rock after they did the presentation. And he's such a cool guy. And I I was like, I'm actually talking to The Rock. And, And when I see him now, it's a different experience when I see him on television now. And when I see his posters everywhere, he's truly an amazing individual. And so are you. Again, we're talking with Vandela <laughs> Menifee. And I'm bringing this up, and it's, it's a nice segue because, again, more and more people are finding out about all your work. People see you all the time, but they don't know all about you. And lo and behold, last week there was a big article that came out about you and shout out dfw.com it said meet vandela menifee doj federal bureau of prisons retiree professional volunteer and you are our girl on the streets in tarrant county this was a great opportunity for people to know more about your story and the fact that and we've talked about this on this station before in this show about how you were a part of the prison system for 26 years, almost 26 years, but not that you were behind bars. You were actually, <laughs> and you, you like to tell the story. You met your, your husband in prison. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell people again, what you used to do with the, with the prison system? Because like I said, one of the things you did was try to help people not wind up behind bars. Yes, sir. I did. I actually started my career right after college in 1987. As a, as a correctional officer, most people uh, relate correctional officers to prison guards. and But in the federal system, we call them correctional officers. Mm-hmm. So I started in Talladega, transferred to the penitentiary in Atlanta as a case manager. And I actually worked at the penitentiary in Atlanta for 10 years. And during that time, uh, it was rated as one of the most dangerous federal penitentiaries in the country. But I never felt like my life was in danger every day that I went to work. And some people did because the correctional environment is not for everyone. Right. But I enjoyed working there. And eventually I was promoted to an assistant department head over case managers. Love that opportunity. Still kept me connected to the inmates there and gave me the opportunity to become a supervisor or assistant supervisor. And I loved working in the penitentiary environment, getting the opportunity to read the files of these individuals that I see every day that have committed these heinous crimes. A lot of them that end up on Americans' greed. And I, I just thrived for some reason. I thrived in that environment. 
And eventually um, I was promoted to uh, the community uh, corrections manager for the Atlanta office overseeing five states. Then I was promoted to the witness security uh, or the witness protection section where we oversaw all the witness security inmates that was how that was in our southeast region. And at that time, I think I had probably like 200 and something inmates that was in the witness protection program. Mm -hmm. And what you see on television, a lot of that is true because they get the baseline from the agency. And people do change their names. They change their family names because uh, their lives are actually in danger for them cooperating with the government to, to, yes, to have people convicted. Then the government downsized in 2005, and I thought that I would never leave Atlanta. That's where I wanted to. My husband got met and I got married. That's where we met. That's where we wanted to raise our kids. And working for the government, you have to move when they say your position has been abolished. Luckily for me, I found a position in Grand Prairie, Texas. It's at the Grand Prairie Office Complex. I came here as a specialist over designations, and then I was eventually promoted to the operations manager and loved that job. I was the only operations manager that was responsible for managing the Bureau of Prisons' entire MA population, and at that time, it was 216,000 inmates, and there were 116 federal institutions. Wow. And then I was promoted to uh, the Dallas office uh, regional administrator over reentry because my background has always been of service, and I felt that I could better serve in the area of programming for inmates and assisting them in transitioning back into society. That has always been my passion because if you give someone an opportunity to better their lives, it'll make them want when they return to the community, a better citizen. Exactly. In other words, you're you're reducing problems and you're reducing situations where people are in need. It's like they wind up helping themselves and their families. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I loved that job. The the only part that I did not like about that job because I was traveling two to three times out of the week and having to leave my husband and our kids, which they were very young. But I had the opportunity to to meet and train with federal judges, federal chief probation officers, uh, assistant U.S. attorneys. Uh, public defenders, and just trying to help them help their clients. There are several times that judges would call me during sentencing and ask me, Vandela, can I do this for this defendant? Can I do this for this defendant? What programs are available based on his security level? And just having that relationship with the federal judges, it was very rewarding for me. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when you did finally retire from that life, I mean, you retired early. It wasn't like you retired when you were 65. Yes. You still had a lot to give. And again, I'm so mm-hmm. I'm so flattered reading the article about you in shoutoutdfw.com. And I'm so f- proud of you because literally I've been knowing you all these years and we've had you on the show uh, several times. And it's just, I'm just grinning because you mind if I quote you on this? Because I'm going to quote what no, you sir, said. Because it's, 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 it's as strong as you saying it here on these airwaves. You said, quote, 
I would like my legacy to be known as the hardest working woman in volunteer service, a professional volunteer that is the Olivier Pope of community advocacy, a natural-born fixer connecting people of the political, private sectors, and nonprofit organizations to local citizens and people in need of services, passionate about their mission or having the financial means to make a difference, and trust me to be the conduit to changing lives and making smiles. In community service, I want the imprint left on their minds and hearts of others involved in creating positive impacts and meaningful connections that are forced through my actions. I want my legacy to be the one who fostered a sense of inclusivity, collaboration within a community by a memorable act of community service. Let me tell you something. (laughs) That is so strong and powerful. And I'm glad you allowed me to say it for you. And I had to think, I mean, I know you're that kind of person anyway, but I know when your back was killing you, And you were like laid up thinking, I don't know if I'll be able to do my work anymore. I don't know if I'm going to be out there with the people anymore. I'm sure those words crossed your mind like, well, if I can't do this anymore, if I'm going to be homebound, this has got to be my legacy. Is that what made you come up with those words? Yes, sir, because most people think, and I, I, I think that I'm almost like a unicorn when it comes to saying the professional volunteer because most people think when you volunteer that you're out doing physical labor. For me, it's not. I'm like a conduit uh, for people because I, I, my, 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 because of my medical condition, I'm sometimes limited to being home. Right. But I have the ability to help people by just connecting people to someone. Mm -hmm. People call me or text me all the time. I tell them I prefer text because sometimes the the phone ringing, it it, it just, it messes with my migraine sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I said, text and when I get an opportunity, I'll be able to respond to you. So that helps me to manage what I'm doing. So people will send me flyers. I send it out to other people and tell them to share. People send me invitations to events. I say, I cannot come, but I will send it out to share. And so the people that I share these events with, they become networking opportunities. And the way to survive and to be involved, you have to be able to network. And that's how I've been able to do the things that I do and assist others. And people trust me because of the networking opportunity. Yes. Getting to know yes. people. Yes, you, you you get to know people and you get to connect people and guess what? Good things happen. And it's not yes, sir. and it's it's not automatic sometimes, but sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I know somebody. Oh, I know this would be a somebody. great group yes. that could use your help. Whatever it is, yes, that's why sir. I say you're one of the best community organizers, volunteers that I know of. And Tarrant County is your background. I just want to know how you juggle your family. I mentioned your husband. You got kids too. How do you juggle all of this? Yes, sir. Actually, uh, because what I do, I can do it laying down. I can do it sitting on the couch. I can do it sitting in my recliner. And most of the stuff that I actually do, I don't have to physically be anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like on rainy days, it rained three days this week. And I have anxiety about being on the street. (laughs) It rains. Yeah, because sometimes cars bump into you. Yes, sir. (laughs) 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't leave my house. So the benefit of of me being retired, when I retired, I was not in the mindset of being retired because the government had downsized and they abolished my position. So I had to either retire or they wanted to move me to Washington, D.C. And I didn't want to take my young kids to Washington, D.C. in that type of environment that they had grew up in Texas, a much slower pace, and then putting them in this big city. Mm -hmm. So I chose to retire. My husband said, do you want to do that? I was like, no. He's like, well, tell them you're retiring. He said, we prepared (laughs) for this. I was like, what? And then they were asking Vandela, why you, you can stay 10 more years? And I said, that's 10 years, a, a decade that I'm able to give to my family. Right. And that's what I decided to, I retired. I was 47 years old. Three days later, I turned 48 when and, I retired. Right. And you, now I am 59 years old. And you've accomplished even more than you even thought of. You got like two different kind of yes, careers. Sir. And again, you're not really answering my question. How does you? How do you juggle this with your family? I want to know how much time you spend with your family, not just your kids and your husband, but your whole family, because you're always on the go. Well, locally, it's my my family. I always tell people, family does not have to be by blood. Family is by love, and the right. people that you put into your circle of life becomes your family by love, by your heart. Mm -hmm. And so allowing those people to be the family that you cannot have, because most of my family lives in Chicago or Atlanta. Mm -hmm. That's where majority of my family is. Right. So So, you physically aren't around them. It's not like you grew up together and y'all are still getting older together. Yeah. It's not like the good old days with grandma and grandma. Not like the good old days. No. People move around the country. (laughs) So, yeah, I know. I like, I like family by love. I like that. The family by love, yes. And so my sons have been been blessed to have so many aunts by love who really support them as if though they were by blood. I mean, in the best ways possible. And I, I could not have asked for God to put me in a better position than being here in Texas at the time uh, for my kids to grow up. Our oldest son, William, is now in nursing school. He wants to be an ER nurse. And he is, he at work, he is so involved in getting people involved and wanting to volunteer. Our oldest, our youngest son, Richard, he now works for Lockheed Martin Corporation. And he's inspired about all the things that he is going to be able to do. He's He is planning to go back and speak at his third grade teacher school, which is Delma Jones Elementary School. The principal is uh, Miko Rhines. She was his third grade teacher. My son is going there to speak for career day. Nice. And just looking at that, that circle of life and her be, and Miss uh, Rhines being involved in our lives all of these years and now to see my son go back and speak to her students it's incredible you know what's so crazy what you're doing and what your life has become since you retired from the correctional institute is <laughs> <laughs> is you know some some people 
you know, for the holidays, for Christmas holidays, they'll say, you know what, instead of doing gifts, exchange gifts, let's give, let's help some people in the community. Help and they, someone. But they, yes, but, they do, but they do it only during the holidays. They usually only think about it maybe during Thanksgiving or Christmas holidays, the end of the year, that time of the year. You do this year round. And that's yes, why I admire yes, what sir. you do because what you're doing is, like I said, you're actually affecting people's lives, changing people's lives in your own way. And let me read another quote from you in this article. I hate to be quoting you like this, but you say it so well. I'm going to, I'm going to read it for you. You said, I want people to remember me by having personal stories and instances where community service made a significant difference in someone's life that was particularly memorable. Acts that touch the lives of individuals on a personal level, creating lasting and memorable indentations that build servant hearts. And that's the key at the end, the servant hearts. The servant heart. Yes, sir. The, you have the greatest to leaders are servant leaders. Yes, sir. They want to they, help they people are. and they and that's how they lead. You're a leader. Did you know that? <laughs> and you may say, wait a minute, I'm just a volunteer. You're a leader by example as well. Your kids are a reflection of you. And Yes, sir, they are. And I know it's hard for you to talk about yourself. Let's talk about what you're doing, okay? Because <laughs> I know it's hard <laughs> to talk about yourself. But I, 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 this is why I admire you because you do such a fantastic job. And people, especially in Tarrant County, you just make such a difference. So tell Thank us you. in 2024. What are some of the things that are going on that you have been able to share and you can share with the listeners of Better Living, Tarrant County? Okay. Or even okay. just North I, Texas. I, I, it could be North Texas. Okay, great, great, great. Okay, because I was thinking, I was like, okay, what am I doing in Tarrant County? Because I have the honor of serving the Metroplex. Mm-hmm. And when I say serving the Metroplex, North Texas. And it, it is truly an honor for me. One of the things that I, I'm currently um, involved with is Duncanville High School. Duncanville High School uh, is where uh, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, I actually recruited her to serve on the PTA when our sons were, when my son and her daughter was in the seventh grade, met her in the parking lot and recruited her. And since that time, we've been friends. So uh, her name is Suzanne Riddle Springer Brown. We call her Dr. RMD. So she has a program where she has students to go out and she's trying to uh, give them opportunities, internships, and the, the, the employers don't have to pay uh, the students. They just need the experience. If you give a student the experience in an environment, it's going to change their lives. Yes. It becomes impactful. And the thing that I've been helping her do right now is to connect with businesses within um, that radius of the school because the school will actually drop the students off and pick them up. So transportation is not an issue. So I've been working with her trying to find employers out there who are willing to give these students an opportunity. So if you're listening to me right now and you have a, a, a business and you would like to give some students an opportunity Please, I encourage you to to help me fill the need of these students that are looking for internships. And the other thing that I've been involved with is uh, Lakendra Smalley. Um, Lakendra has an an organization called Geist Love, 
and it's a it offers mental health and behavior health services for underserved communities. I think her organization is the only one that's certified in the state that's able to go into the federal into um, state prisons, and that was one of the things that inspired me to want to go and work with Lakendra. She is actually a Dallas native, and when I tell you her program is so impactful because so many people suffer from mental health Mm -hmm. issues, but they don't know where to go. They don't know, you know, the resources and where I can go to find help. And the opportunities that you give me through Better Living helps me to get people connected and the listeners that are listening to be able to be a resource for people right here in our local community. Somebody that's listening to Better Living will be able to say, who is a person that can provide mental health services? Because there's so many people that are suffering. I tell my, my husband and I talk about all the time that during the COVID period, so many people went through COVID being isolated and nobody really received treatment when we came back. Yeah. What was the name of her organization again? What was the name of her? I want to make sure people catch it. Yes. It's it's, it's www.gicelovelovedes.org. Excellent. Write that down. Say it one more time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will repeat it slowly. It's www.gicelovelovedes.org. Guys, G-I-C-E, loves, L-O-V-E-S, no space, dot org. And that's just yes, one it's, of it's several. Smalley. Yes, yes she's outstanding. And that's just one of the different organizations that you do help. I can't say yes, it sir. enough. Vondella, it is always a pleasure to have you on. You reach to so many people. And just like you mentioned, what you do is that significant. And we can't thank you enough for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I look forward to the next to, for the next invitation. Most definitely. And thank you all for joining us on Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.